Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. This is great. I hear nothing in my headphones, but I do know I'm supposed to go, so I'm going. Give me a signal, Mr. Producer. Can you hear the program? No, I can't. I can hear you, but not the program. So we'll continue here. Well, you see what's going on in Venezuela. Does that really surprise anybody? What is the main difference between socialism and capitalism? Government coercion. It's the iron fist versus the invisible hand. Socialism is fake. Marxism is fake. And so I hear people today struggling, trying to explain what the real differences are. The Constitution? Yes, of course. But every non-socialist state doesn't have a Constitution, necessarily. Ours is fantastic, although we honor it in the breach, I'm afraid. There's a human factor. Socialism goes against natural law. Socialism crushes individualism. So I dug up a copy from 2012 of Ameritopia. Socialism, Marxism, they preach utopianism. There was a great philosopher, I, I think he's one of the greats, Karl Popper, modern times anyway. And he eloquently deconstructed the false assumptions and scientific claims of utopianism. Just listen carefully to this. He argued it is totalitarian in form and substance. He observed that any social science which does not teach the impossibility of rational social construction, that is, basically remaking society, is entirely blind to the most important facts of social life and must overlook the only social laws of real validity and of real importance. Social sciences seeking to provide a background for social engineering cannot, therefore, be true descriptions of social facts. They are impossible in themselves. So when you hear Bernie Sanders or Maduro or before him Chavez or Castro and the rest, they are preaching lies. They are preaching impossibilities. They are preaching utopianism. And behind utopianism is always the iron fist, the police state. Now, what is utopianism, as I explained? Utopianism, free this and free that and Green New Deal, is irrational in theory and practice. For it ignores or attempts to control the planned and unplanned complexity of the individual, his nature, and mankind generally. It ignores, rejects, or perverts the teachings and knowledge that have come before. That is, man's historical, cultural, and social experience and development. In fact, utopianism seeks to break 
what the hugely influential 18th century British statesman and philosopher Edmund Burke argued was the societal continuum between those who are living and those who are dead and those who are to be born. Eric Hoffer, a social thinker renowned for his observations about fanaticism and mass movements, he said for men to plunge headlong into an undertaking of vast change, they must be intensely disconnected, yet not destitute. And they must have the feeling that by the possession of some potent doctrine, infallible leader, or some new technique, they have access to a source of irresistible power. They must also have an extravagant conception of the prospects and potentialities of the future. They must be wholly ignorant of the difficulties involved in their vast undertaking. For experience is a handicap. Now, Hoffer was a blue-collar worker. He was a, a union man, a longshoreman. And during his lunch breaks, he had a uh, notebook. And he would write down these brilliant thoughts that he had. Utopianism substitutes, I want you to think about Bernie Sanders and Venezuela and all the rest of it. Utopianism substitutes glorious predictions and unachievable promises for knowledge, science, and reason, while laying claim to them all. But there is nothing new in deception disguised as hope, and nothing original in abstraction framed as progress. A heavenly society is said to be within reach, if only the individual surrenders more of his liberty and being for the general good, meaning the good as prescribed by the state. This is me, by the way. If he refuses, he will be tormented and ultimately coerced into compliance, for conformity is essential. Indeed, nothing good can come of self-interest, which is condemned as morally indefensible and empty, through persuasion, deceit, and coercion. The individual must be stripped of his identity and subordinated to the state. He must abandon his own ambitions for the ambitions of the state. He must become reliant on and fearful of the state. His first duty must be to the state, not family, community, and faith, all of which challenge the authority of the state. And once dispirited, the individual can be molded by the state with endless social experiments and lifestyle calibrations. Therefore, especially threatening are the industrious, independent, and successful, because they demonstrate what is actually possible under current societal conditions, that is, achievement, happiness, and fulfillment, thereby contradicting and endangering the utopian campaign against what was and what is. They must be either co-opted and turned into useful contributors to or advocates for the state or neutralized through sabotage or other means. Indeed, the individual's contribution to society must be downplayed, dismissed, or denounced unless the contribution is directed by the state and involves self-sacrifice for the utopian cause. Utopianism also attempts to shape and dominate the individual by doing two things at once. It strips the individual of his uniqueness, making him indistinguishable from the multitudes that form what is commonly referred to as the masses. But it simultaneously assigns him a group identity based on race, ethnicity, age, gender, income, etc. to highlight differences within the masses. And then exacerbates old rivalries and disputes or it incites new ones. 
This way it can speak to the well-being of the people as a whole while dividing them against themselves, thereby stampeding them in one direction or another as necessary to collapse the existing society or rule over the new one. Who's that, Mark? That's me. Now, where utopianism is advanced through gradualism rather than revolution, albeit steady and persistent as in democratic societies like ours, it can deceive and disarm an unsuspecting population, which is largely content and passive. It is sold as reforming and improving the existing society's imperfections and weaknesses without imperiling its basic nature. Under these conditions, it is mostly ignored, dismissed, or tolerated by much of the citizenry and celebrated by some. Transformation is deemed innocuous, well-intentioned, and perhaps constructive, but not a dangerous trespass on fundamental liberties. Utopianism also finds a receptive audience among the societies disenchanted, disaffected, dissatisfied, and maladjusted who are unwilling or unable to assume responsibility for their own real or perceived conditions, but instead blame their surroundings, or the system, quote-unquote, and others. They are lured by the false hopes and promises of utopian transformation and the criticisms of the existing society, to which their connection is tentative or non-existent. Improving the malcontents' lot becomes linked to the utopian cause, Moreover, disparaging and diminishing the successful and accomplished becomes an essential tactic. No one should be better than anyone else, regardless of the merits or values of his contributions. And by exploiting human frailties, frustrations, jealousies, and inequities, a sense of meaning and self-worth is created in the malcontents, otherwise unhappy and directionless life. Simply put, and think of Venezuela, simply put, equality and misery... That is, equality of result or conformity is advanced as a just, fair, and virtuous undertaking. Liberty, therefore, is inherently immoral, except where it avails equality. Now, equality in this sense is a form of radical egalitarianism that has long been the subject of great concerns for advocates of liberty. Equality is understood by the American founders... It's the natural right of every individual to live freely under self-government, to acquire and retain the property he creates through his own labor, and to be treated impartially before just law. And equality should not be confused with perfection, for man is also imperfect, making his application of equality, even the most just society, imperfect. Otherwise, inequality, inequality is the natural state of man, in the sense that each individual is born unique in all his human characteristics. Therefore, equality and inequality, properly comprehended, are both engines of liberty. Still, in democracies, the attraction of equality too often outweighs the appeal of liberty, even though individuals are able to flourish more in democracies than in other societies. Liberty's wonders and permeance can be subtle and ambiguous and therefore unnoticed and underappreciated. Despite its infinite benefits, for many, liberty is elusive, for one must look below the surface to identify it. Conversely, equality can be more transparent at surface level. It's posited as a far-off concept of human perfectibility, but is also delivered in bits and pieces, or at least appears to be, in daily life. 
It usually takes the form of material rights, quote-unquote, delivered to the individual by the state. Consequently, equal, equality and liberty are both subjects of utopian demagoguery and manipulation. Liberty, as I said, is encouraged if its end is equality. Liberty by itself is not. Now, equality is also disguised or confused with popular sovereignty. That is, the conflation of the people's will, so-called, with egalitarian campaigns such as social justice, environmental justice, immigrant rights, workers' rights, etc. In essence, true democracy, we are told, cannot be achieved unless society is reorganized around the disparate and endless demands of disparate and endless claimants. And in due course, such a society becomes chaotic and balkanized. As it disavows, as, as it dissolves and crises build, the stage is set for escalating coercion or repression. Now, I want to continue, ladies and gentlemen, because I think this best describes what's going on in Venezuela. This also best describes the mindset of the left and the Democrat Party and where they would drag this country. We'll be right back. Mark Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. So much good stuff today. Stick with us. Socialism, Marxism, is anti-humanity. Why would we buy into this, ladies and gentlemen? Why would we allow our country to devolve into an iron-fisted anarchy of sorts? Let us just continue about what's going on. Utopianism's authority also knows no definable limits. This is what they're preaching. Oh, we're not socialists. We just believe in free college and open borders and sanctuary cities and, and minimum income. And that they're promoting utopianism. They want to create from Americanism a meritopia. Utopianism's authority knows no definable limits. How could it? If they exist, what are they? Radical egalitarianism or the perfectibility of mankind is an ongoing process of individual and societal transformation that must cast off the limits of history, tradition, and experience for that which is said to be necessary, novel, progressive, and inevitable. Ironically, inconvenient facts and evidence must be rejected or manipulated, as must the very nature of man, for utopianism is a fantasy that evolves into a dogmatic cause, which in turn manifests a holy truth for a false religion, 
There's little or no tolerance for the individual's deviation from orthodoxy, lest it threaten the survival of the enterprise. In truth, utopianism is regressive, irrational, and pre-enlightenment. It robs society of opinions and ideas that may be beneficial to the human condition, now and in the future. It stymies human interaction, including economic activity, which progresses through a historical process of self-organization. Utopianism's equality is intolerant of diversity, uniqueness, debate, etc. For utopianism's purpose requires a singular focus. There can be no competing voices or causes, slowing or obstructing society's long and righteous march. Utopianism relies on deceit, propaganda, dependence, intimidation, and force. Wow, sounds like the media. In its more aggressive state, as the malignancy of the enterprise becomes more painful and its impossibility more obvious, Venezuela, it incites violence inasmuch as avenues for free expression and civil dissent are cut off. Violence becomes the individual's primary recourse and the state's primary response. Ultimately, the only way out is the state's termination. Now you know why I'm reading this to you. This is from 2012, Ameritopia. Ameritopia. Just a few more points. In Utopia... Rule by masterminds is both necessary and necessarily primitive, for it excludes so much that is known to man and about man. The mastermind is driven by his own boundless conceit and delusional aspirations, which he self-identifies as a noble calling. He alone is uniquely qualified to carry out this mission. He is, in his own mind, a savior of mankind, if only man will bend to his will. Such can be the addiction of power. It can be an irrationally egoistic and absurdly frivolous passion that engulfs even sensible people. In this, the mastermind suffers from my psychosis of sorts and endeavors to substitute his own ambitions for the individual ambitions of millions of people. The master, and I want to touch on a little bit more of this after the break because it kind of flows into the intelligentsia, academia, the media, and so forth. And it is totally relevant to what you're seeing unravel in Venezuela. It's totally relevant to the Democrat battle for the nomination for for their presidential ticket because it provides the necessary substance and context. We'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S, dot hillsdale, dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Where Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. You know, uh, this format is so important. It's so unique. You can waste it. You know, by racing through, or you can take your time and try and address the fundamentals of mankind, of the culture, of society, of government, embracing history. We're witnesses to history. Life moves so quickly. Events move so quickly. We're so preoccupied, but we are witnesses to history, including our own. And it's important to take the time to discuss it. Not just discuss what's happening, but why it's happening and exactly what undergirds activities that are taking place in front of our eyes. So let's finish up here. Let's get back to what we mean, utopia. What you see playing out. Some people say, well, that's dystopia, the opposite of utopia. But it is sold as utopia. It's not sold as dystopia. The mastermind, these so-called masterminds, the Maduros, the Chavezes, the Castros, and quite frankly, the Bernie Sanders and so forth, is served by an enthusiastic intelligentsia or so-called experts professionally engaged in developing and spreading utopian fantasies. Although there are conspicuous exceptions, longtime Harvard professor and political theoretician Harvey Mansfield explained that modern intellectuals have monumental impatience with human complexity and imperfection. They believe that politics is a temporary necessity until the rational solution is put in place. Isn't that true? Well, of course, the rational solutions are not rational at all, are they, folks? While intellectuals are obviously smart, They're not smart enough to have conquered the social sciences and used them to rejigger society. They are posers to knowledge they do not and cannot possess. You see these people on TV all the time. Meanwhile, the intellectuals are immune from the impracticability and consequences of their blueprints, for they rarely present themselves for public office. Instead, they seek to influence those who do. So they legislate without accountability. For the rest, transforming society becomes a struggle between the utopia and self-determination and self-preservation, since the individual must acquiesce to centralized decision-making, like government health care. Apart from brute force, the mastermind has in his arsenal a weapon that provides him with a predominant advantage. Do you know what that is? The law. The law. Bastiat, the great Bastiat, explained that when the law has exceeded its proper functions, it has not done so merely in some inconsequential and debatable matters. The law has gone further than this. It has acted in direct opposition to its own proper purpose. The law has been used to destroy its own objective. It has been applied to annihilating the justice it was supposed to maintain, to limiting and destroying rights which its real appeal was to respect. The law has placed the collective force at the disposal 
of the unscrupulous who wish without risk to exploit the person, liberty, and property of others. It has converted plunder into a right in order to protect plunder. And it has converted lawful uh, defense into a crime in order to punish lawful defense. I'm reading from Emeritopia, if you're curious. Now, when the law is used in this way, folks, the few plunder the many, public sector unions, the many plunder the few, the progressive income tax, and everyone plunders everyone, universal health care, making utopia unsustainable and ultimately inhumane, e.g. Venezuela. Centralizing and consolidating authority is required to replace dispersed decision-making with a command and control structure, the purpose of which is to coerce behavior in pursuit of a fantasy, a dogmatic cause, a false religion, etc. That's not to say that knowledge and information from outside the central authority go without notice. Rather, it is collected in a self-serving, haphazard, and incomplete way to tinker and adjust, to torment and control, but never as a means to fundamentally challenge assumptions, reconsider policies, or disprove the utopian ends. Obamacare. How could it, since utopian since utopianism rejects rationality and empiricism from the outset? It repudiates experience. It is said to be new, different, better, and bigger. You know, like the Green New Deal. The mastermind relies on uniform standards born of insufficient knowledge and information, which are crafted from his own predilections, values, stereotypes, experiences, idiosyncrasies, desires, prejudice, and, of course, fantasy. The imposition of these standards may in the short term benefit some or perhaps many, but over time, the misery and corrosiveness from their full effects spread through the whole of society. Venezuela. Although the mastermind's incompetence and vision plague the society, responsibility must be diverted elsewhere. That is, to those assigned to carry them out, or to the people's lack of sacrifice, or to the enemies of the state who have conspired to thwart the utopian cause. For the mastermind is inextricably linked to the fantasy. If he's fallible, then who is to usher in paradise? If his judgment and wisdom are in doubt, then the entire venture might invite scrutiny. So this leads to grander and bolder social experiments, requiring further coercion. And what went before is said to have been piecemeal and therefore inadequate. The steps necessary to to achieve true utopianism have yet to be tried. So you can see this with Obamacare now, Medicare for all. For the individual and the people generally... This is dispiriting, destabilizing, stagnating, and impoverishing. Although all state action is said to be taken in the people's interest, the heavy if not crippling burden they shoulder is the price they pay for an impossible cause, a cause greater than their lives, liberty, and happiness. The individual is inconsequential as a person and useful only as an insignificant part of an an agglomeration of insignificant parts. He is a worker, part of a mass, nothing more, nothing less. His existence is soulless. Absolute obedience is the highest virtue. Look at Red China. After all, only an army of drones is capable of building a rainbow to paradise. Now, the immorality of utopianism, albeit obvious to sober thinkers, 
requires explicit attention nonetheless, for perversely, too many remain enthusiastically committed to it. Utopianism is immoral, per se. On what basis does utopianism make such a thorough claim on the individual's existence? On a mastermind's dogma? In criticizing socialism's immorality and its appeal to dropouts and parasites. <coughs> Hayek wrote, Rights derived from systems of relations of which the claimant has become a part through helping to maintain them. And he goes on. There's also no morality in utopian deception and distortion to promote an abstraction, forcing the individual to behave in ways that are contrary to his best interests and destructive of his nature. Attacking the civil society's ethical norms and social arrangements and making commonplace dependency and coercion. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a lot of speaking, but even from bathrooms and so forth, you can see the point, right? Can't use pronouns anymore to describe people based on whether they're male or female. So rather than cultivating a moral society and individual virtuousness, whether through faith, education, or sociability, and building on the accumulated experience and wisdom of earlier generations, utopianism breeds dishonesty, not good character. It encourages ideology, not reason. It rewards rashness, not reflection. It attracts fanatics, not statesmen. And it is transformative, not reformative. And as the world around him grows increasingly unpredictable and hostile, the moral order of civil society frays and then unravels. The individual may feel that his daily survival depends on abandoning his own moral nature and teaching, including prudence, self-restraint, and forethought. He may become radicalized and join the ranks of predators, or become isolated and conniving, hoping to avoid notice. He may become dispirited and detached, resigned to a life of misery. He may defiantly stand his moral ground, which case he may become the predator's prey. In any event, the law of the jungle becomes the law of the land as the civil society disintegrates. I won't read any more, but there's plenty more here in the first chapter of Ameritopia to explain what's taking place in Venezuela, to explain the real mindset of many in the Democrat Party who seek their party's nomination, particularly and especially Bernie Sanders. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound, to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community help students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. 
Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. That's from Ameritopia. You know, there's a difference between me and a lot of other authors, many differences, actually. One of them is I do my own research. The other is I write my own books. And the third one is this. I write my books for you, my audience. I don't write them for liberal professors. I don't write them for Meet the Press. I don't write... I write my books for you. The American people who still embrace our constitutional system, individual liberty, capitalism, national sovereignty... The things we talk about every day on this program and have for years and years and years. I write my books to give inspiration, support, validation, substance to our cause and to all of you. That's what Ameritopi was all about. Unfreedom of the press. A friend of mine who's read it told me it's his favorite of all my books. Now... You may not agree with him. The book is now moving its way into the press. You're starting to hear people talk about the press now. And and this is something I have to decide when I release this, the early uh, galley copies. Um, You're starting to hear words, phrases in the press that come out of my book. There's nothing I can do about that. But once you get a copy, it won't matter. I want to strongly encourage you to pre-order your copy of Unfreedom of the Press by going to Amazon.com right now or sometime this evening. It's 40% off. Everything I've told you about the New York Times, you've heard repeated over and over and over again the last week, haven't you? Things about the Holocaust and so forth. Nobody ever talked about that. Did they, Mr. Producer? Ever. Ever. I've written about it. I've talked about it. We're going to talk about it more, but there's a lot more in this book. And you're going to see the real echo chamber that takes place out there. Some people I can't even send the book to because, unfortunately, I can't really trust them. They keep their mouths shut. But that's the way it goes. So I'm hoping strongly that you'll go online, go to Amazon.com, pre-order your copy, 40% of Unfreedom of the Press. It's going to be a very, very important book and an opportunity for us to really focus like a laser, certainly before the election, on a huge power in this country and a huge force that needs to be dealt with. And no, I don't mean by government. I mean by we the people. The Bill of Rights exists for we the people. I'm sorry, that includes freedom of the press. The Constitution exists for us. The country exists for us. Not Jake Tapper. Not Brian Stelter. They're welcome to participate, but they don't own it. They don't control it. Ladies and gentlemen... Secretary of State Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, was on CNN today, and he said that Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro was about to flee his country for Cuba, but Russia intervened and convinced him to stay. He had an airplane on the tarmac, Pompeo said. He was ready to leave this morning, as we understand it, and the Russians indicated he should stay. We think the situation remains incredibly fluid. We know that there were senior leaders inside the Maduro government that were prepared to leave. They told us as much over the past few weeks, and we're convinced that the Venezuelan people are going to get their democracy back. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Russians intervened. 
to protect Maduro. The legitimately elected president is still trying to pressure Maduro to leave. Two points. I thought there was Russia collusion with Trump and the Russians. Apparently not. Oh, look at that. Look at that. More Russian collusion with Bernie Sanders. They have much more in common than with Trump, of course. What's the other point? This isn't a coup. This isn't a coup. The so-called opposition leader was legitimately elected president of Venezuela. How could it be a coup? You want to see a coup? You look at the silent coup. With the media, the Democrats, academics, and others have tried to take out our president. That's a silent coup. A phrase that I coined some time ago in the current uh, culture. But there's no coup taking place in Venezuela. The legitimately elected president of Venezuela is attempting to take the place in the, in the office of the presidency of Venezuela that he was elected to take. Maduro stole the election. Can't anybody get this straight? And Russia. Wow. Russia colluding with our enemies. Not with Trump. What do you make of that, media? Ah, who cares what they make of anything? I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, You know, if they had a Second Amendment in Venezuela, there'd be a lot of people who could defend themselves and overthrow that illegitimate government. The Second Amendment. Thank God for our Bill of Rights. All of them. It's funny how the media only support part of the First Amendment. All the rest of it can go to hell as far as they're concerned. But it doesn't work that way, does it, ladies and gentlemen? No, it doesn't. Kerry Sanders is an NBC News reporter, correspondent, for now. And he lowered himself. He's on MSLSD today and really lowered himself. He was interviewed by Andrea Mitchell. That's what they do. You have correspondents interviewing correspondents. And that's said to be news. But anyway, Kerry Sanders kind of screwed up. Listen to this. Hat tip, free beacon, cut three, go. With the help of Russia and other outside forces, Maduro is hanging on. Not only hanging on, but he appears to still control the military. You have to understand in Venezuela, gun ownership is not something that is open to everybody. So if the military have the guns, they have the power. And as long as Nicolas Maduro controls the military, he controls the country. Imagine that. Imagine that, ladies and gentlemen. The guy kind of blew it, didn't he? All right, Joe Biden. People will read you polls today because they're up there on our buddy uh, Matt Drudge's website. And uh, polls have nothing to do with anything right now. Absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. 
they're all about name ID. And, you know, uh, the case of Joe Biden, it's been around a long, long time as an elected politician on the government dole. You've been subsidizing his career for decade after decade after decade. And really, what does he have the show for it? They try and make him like he's this nice guy. He's a very nasty guy. What he did to Bork and Clarence Thomas, among others, just a very, very nasty guy. Uh, But Joe Scarborough likes him, so he must be good. But then again, Joe Scarborough is a reprobate, too. But he was in Pittsburgh yesterday as we cover things in a very significant way. We didn't get to this, but I wanted to today. And he gave an absolutely brilliant speech. Brilliant. Here's a taste of it. A montage. Cut four. Go. I want to thank uh, uh, Rich Fitzgerald, the county executive, Allegheny County executive, for being here. And all my time in public life, since I've gotten involved, the country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge fund managers. If the enterprise hit hard times, everybody took a hit. Union workers, the UAW took incredible cuts in their future and their and their pensions and the left to get GM working. They also got that last year and try to cut wages or freeze wages for the people. Right today, the same is happening in big hospitals in big hospital systems. I think we have to rethink how we define what constitutes a successful economy. Folks in America don't think their children are going to have the same standard of living they had. How can a person dignity be maintained? Why why they do that? It means investing much more in medical research to to conquer devastating diseases like cancer and addiction and Alzheimer's. So God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Rambling and stepping on his lines and slurring like this they have an it costs when if you they just gave you gave them with the the withdraw bringing u.s home troops from home and 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 the 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 you 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 need somebody wait so uh, what finally and uh um but resist we much we must and we will much about that be committed I, 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 I'm, I'm a warrior <laughs> um, you know the the that it was the, 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 I mean they, 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 they said that look the the the, the yeah the lies are strip was it him? Well, I, 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 I didn't. If, 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 stands in our way is our broken political system that's deliberately being undermined by our president to continue to abuse the power of the office. How is he abusing the power of the office, low IQ Joe? And that's what he should be called. How is he, so I'll call him that, how is he abusing, I used to call him plugs, but some, but others are, you know, so I don't do that anymore. So we'll call him low IQ uh, Joe. So how, how is he abusing the power of his office, low IQ Joe? Exactly how? 
Go ahead. Donald Trump is the only president, is the only president who's decided not to represent the whole country. So Donald Trump has decided not to represent the whole country, unlike low IQ Joe. He represents the entire country. Coming from the massive state population and geographically, Delaware. He represents, but he was vice president, right. But Trump is president. Go ahead. The president has his base. We need a president who works for all Americans. And we can afford this. So securing the border, cutting taxes, controlling regulations, getting honest judges in place. That's not working for all the people? What is, Joe? You? How many jobs did the Biden-Obama administration create? Very few. Very few indeed. Cut six, go. The Mueller report. What was your initial reaction to the findings? Well, what a hardball question for low IQ Joe. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Three letters, J-O-B-S. Go ahead. Russian interference, without any question, Russian interference. We know there was Russian interference. You were the damn vice president. What the hell did you do about it? And I hope the Trump campaign and the president himself will start to point this out. Hey, low IQ Joe, you were the vice president, the number two in the executive branch, the number two in the country when it comes to the government, when the Russians were interfering with our election. What the hell did you do about it? Did you tell the American people? No. Well, what exactly did you do, low IQ? Well, uh, what? Go ahead. One, number two, there are elements of the report in the second phase of the report about seven or eight things that are left undone. He was not within his purview to investigate, he thought. The Congress is attempting to take What are you up. talking about? What was not in his purview to investigate? Go ahead. And what the Congress should do, and they are doing, is investigate that. So, so here's a guy who wants to be president, wants to run against Trump, and now he's encouraging Congress to continue to abuse its power to take your tax dollars and spend it on opposition research. Go ahead. And if, in fact, they block the investigation, they have no alternative to go to the only other constitutional resort they have is impeachment. But so, once- Biden, this is the big story that I don't think is really catching uh, the headline uh, industry today. Biden is pushing for Trump's impeachment because the president of the United States represents another branch of government. It's called separation of powers. Joe's not particularly sharp, so he doesn't know what that means. It's called separation of powers. And Congress doesn't have uh, an absolute uh, plenary power to investigate things, to demand records and so forth and so on. It has to have some relationship to their legislating authority. They're not a roving band, a mob of, uh, of uh, malcontents who get to just get individuals, whether it's the president or citizens or Supreme Court justices, tax returns and bank records and so forth. It's not an impeachable offense to challenge that and fight that legitimately in court. But the headline here should be Joe Biden is calling for the impeachment of the president because he knows full well the president is challenging this. Now, I don't remember Joe Biden saying that Barack Obama should be impeached when his attorney general refused to turn over records related to Fast and Furious. Now, his attorney general was held in contempt, but his Justice Department never prosecuted his attorney general. Was that an impeachable offense? Go ahead. In the meantime, is to make sure he's not back as president of the United States of America. Aren't you something? Aren't you something? 
So many Democrats think their best hope is a two or three time loser, plagiarizer, and full time liar. He's a full time liar. There was a great piece in the National Review, I think it was. Uh, I'm desperately trying to find it. I've got so much paper here. Uh, Maybe we'll have to do this uh, after the break. So I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to find it, and then I want to read it to you, because it points out that Joe Biden is a serial liar. We'll be right back. Mark in. administration didn't represent blue-collar workers in this country, let alone union workers. They were losing their jobs, too. They undermine our police forces. They went to war with law enforcement. They sided with radical leftists. They never bent a finger for firefighters. And it's a disgrace that Harold Schatberger, close, careful there, Mark, President of the AFL-CIO-affiliated International Association of Firefighters declared at a campaign rally for Joe Biden. He's a disgrace. He's a disgrace. He doesn't represent the rank and file, in my humble opinion. And too often, the rank and file are abused by the, uh, the overpaid leaders of their various unions. It's much like uh, the leadership in the House or the leadership in the Senate. They claw their way to the top. They build a uh, Praetorian protection racket within the Union, and they're hard to dislodge. But this Harold Schaitberger, he's a a fraud. But uh, Biden is a liar. He's a liar. As they write at National Review... This is a spectacularly audacious claim about one of Washington's most notorious BS artists, you know, that he's, uh, he's not artificial, he's not a phony, you see. A few days ago, Biden declared on The View, we were asked, what are, your proudest, what are you proudest of from your administration? You know what I said, says Biden, he said the same thing I did, no one single whisper of scandal, that's because of Barack Obama. Perhaps Biden believes there was no whisper of scandal because there was no such shouting about veterans dying while waiting for care at the Department of Veterans Affairs. The fast and furious gun walking operation at the ATF. <coughs> this dysfunctional launch of healthcare.gov. The Syrian red line. Benghazi. The hacking of the Office of Presidential uh, of Personnel Management. The IRS targeting conservative Tea Party groups. Other government agencies harassing and targeting the president's critics. Drunkenness and reckless behavior at the U.S. Secret Service. And I'll I'll add one. How about the criminalization of freedom of the press, which the press never talks about? How Obama unleashed his DOJ and FBI against reporters and newsrooms. The irony. In 2016, Biden said Trump's policy in the Middle East would be to go carpet bomb innocent people. Whether or not you like Trump's policies, that is not an accurate description of what Trump proposed from the campaign trail or enacted in office. I'm sure that idiot over there at the Washington Compost is keeping a list of all of Biden's lies. 
because he's got a lifelong list of lies. I'd say a million. He's accused Trump of trying to cut nearly $1 trillion from the Medicare program. Not true. Biden insists that he's been referred to for the last 35 years in Washington as middle-class Joe, despite no record of anyone else ever calling him middle-class Joe. I think they called him low-class Joe, Mr. Producer. He proclaimed that he didn't own a single stock or bond. I have no savings accounts. But his wife, Jill, had plenty of stock and bond investments, and the couple had five savings accounts in both their names. Why do they always run like they're poor when they're millionaires on the Democrat side? The hypocrisy, that's why. In 2008, the vice presidential debate, Biden claimed the U.S. had teamed up with France to kick Syria out of Lebanon, that the U.S. spends more in Iraq in one month than it had in Afghanistan in six or seven years, and cited recently visiting a restaurant that had been out of business for decades. Liar, liar. Cornrows on fire. In the 2012 vice presidential debate, Biden suggested he had voted against the Iraq and Afghanistan wars when he had voted for them understated the income level of the Obama tax cuts by $800,000, claimed that no one had told the Obama administration that U.S. diplomatic posts in Libya wanted more security, and claimed that Obamacare had somehow created $716 billion in new funding that was now being applied to Medicare. It had not. Fact checkers, hello, yellow. CNN, joke. Washington Compost, joke. Is that idiot's name? Glenn something or other. No. Biden's pension for embellishments and half-truths are part of, what, part of what sank his 1988 campaign when he wildly exaggerated his academic record. And as Jack Fowler at National Review detailed earlier this year, Biden's been claiming for years that he drunk drugs. Uh, I don't want to get into that. You get the idea. This, there's a great deal that is phony about Joe Biden. Including his hair, by the way, and his teeth, and his—he obviously had a face job, don't you think? Didn't quite work out. And when you watch him on TV, give these—he looks washed out. He looks old. It's okay to look old. Just when you're 77, you shouldn't be president of the United States. You could be president of your HOA or something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. President of the United States. Let me put it to you this way. No offense. No president should wear Depends. Do you agree with me, Mr. Producer? No president should wear Depends. And a President Joe Biden, God forbid, he'd be wearing Depends. It's, it's, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not against people wearing Depends if they need Depends. But the president shouldn't be wearing Depends, in my humble opinion. We have James Clyburn, another clown uh, of the top Democrats in the House, one of the three stooges. Uh, and uh, he was on the morning schmo today. Cut seven, go. But impeachment is still on the table? Absolutely. It's always on the table. We can't take that off the table. That is the only thing that we have uh, available to us. The, the Mueller report was a roadmap. There you go. There you go. And uh, Scarborough's... Impeachment's not off the table, is it? Please, please, James, please. Absolutely not. No, no. That's the only thing we've got. Mueller report was a roadmap. 
This guy Mueller is a skunk. He's a rat fink. He was from day one. What he did was unethical. What he did was immoral. Writing that volume two of that report was a disgrace for any prosecutor. He and that viceman, and they knew it. I'll be right back. Well, this is Mr. Liberty, the Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. All right. You know, the uh, tax deadline passed, and the IRS didn't nail you for the money you owe, right? Well, that's a good thing. But they're not going away. You're not safe, you know. And... uh, Let's see here. Now comes enforced compliance season. Have you ever heard of enforced compliance season? There's an enforced compliance season. And uh, the IRS will be actively looking at your paychecks, your bank accounts, any other finances you have. And they'll try to garnish your paychecks and seize your bank accounts and put liens on your home. I'm going to give you my direct line to Optima Tax Relief. You need to call Optima now. Because it is critically important to solve your tax problems while you have options. Tomorrow you might not. Optima Tax Relief works to stop the demand letters, stop the aggressive collection actions, and stop the IRS from nailing you. Ask about the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. If you qualify, you could save thousands, even tens of thousands. Optima is A-plus rated. And they've resolved over a billion dollars in tax debt for folks like you. You deserve a fresh start. Call for your free consultation. Your free consultation. 800 499 6300. 800 499 6300. 800 499 6300. The dignity of work is my measure of success, Joe Biden proclaimed yesterday to cheers from much of the media. Oh, yeah, the media love. Not lunch bucket, Joe. Low IQ, Joe. Strangely, he set that mark at the first rally in his campaign to replace a president with an astonishing record of boosting workers. Just last month, employers added nearly 200,000 jobs and unemployment held at 3.8 percent, a new low not seen in half a century. That contributed to a monthly job gain average of 180,000 over the whole first quarter, well above the 100,000 jobs a month needed to keep pace with population growth. President Trump's first two years in office, the economy added more than 5 million jobs, including 467,000 in the manufacturing sector, which was losing jobs when Biden was last in office. And with businesses finding it hard to find workers, pay is rising, with median wages growing at 3% a year after years of being stagnant under President Barack Obama. Indeed, the only reason the jobless rate isn't lower still is that countless Americans who had given up all hope of finding employment have re-entered the workforce. That has even lured people off the disability rolls, reversing a long increase. There was a $2 trillion tax cut. Did you feel it? Did you get anything from it? No, of course not, Biden claimed. Never mind that boosting the economy and employment was the main point of the Tax Cuts and Job Act 
of 2017, and it worked. Obama's vice president, low IQ Joe, can't admit that Trump is doing what the last administration insisted was impossible. Manufacturing jobs are just not going to come back, Obama warned in June 2016. Ah, that Joe Biden. But they want to impeach the president. He didn't obstruct justice. There was no collusion. He hasn't abused his office. He hasn't used the IRS like Obama did. Hasn't used the IRS. Hasn't gone after reporters trying to imprison them like others have. But they want to impeach him, ladies and gentlemen. And I said they are playing with political fire, and that is no joke. They don't get to disenfranchise 63 million people and suppress the vote just because they disagree with the President of the United States and the fact of his election. And I'll continue to say, we're dealing with a small cabal of hardcore radical Democrats who represent certain cities in this country and nothing else. New York, L.A., San Francisco, and Baltimore. That's the committee chairman. That's the Speaker of the House. That's it. That's it. Well, they're going to impeach him, don't you know? And now, of course, they're trying to destroy Bill Barr. They're still at it. This guy, Ted Lieu. Ted Lieu. Remember he tried to destroy Candace Owen? She fed him his lunch, didn't she? Basically a bunch of nails. Ted Lieu, stupid Lou, of California. He's on with CNN. And just look how these media outlets promote this stuff. I am telling you, we're heading into a very, very contentious period. You ain't seen nothing yet. With these Soviet-style impeachment efforts, with the efforts to destroy the president's finances and character, with the effort to destroy his re-election effort, and the press is leading the charge. You heard Scarfort Barrow. You heard Mr. Deliverance, the banjo boy. You heard Claiborne, one of the three stooges, with, uh, with Hoyer and, uh, and Pelosi. And you heard the press. Then there's this idiot at Cena. What is her name? Aaron, what is her name? A Burnett. Oh, Aaron Burnett. Oh, she's so smart. Who the hell is she? Listen to this. Cut nine. Go. If Attorney General Barr doesn't show up this Thursday to Congress, then American people should ask two questions. What is he afraid of and what is he trying to hide? Yeah, Last- right. He's afraid and he's trying to hide, of course. That's, that's it. Everyone's afraid and trying to hide. Go ahead. Republicans controlled the committee. We had numerous members of the Department of Justice come in and get interviewed by staff counsel. Interviewed by staff. Not hearings, questioned by staff, and not the Attorney General, questioned by staff. Why do you lie, Ted Lieu? Is that a song? Why do you lie, Ted Lieu? Go ahead. It was good enough for Republicans last term, then it's good enough for Democrats this term. And if he doesn't show up, then we're going to enforce a subpoena and we're going to hold him in contempt. Okay, so what does that mean? You're saying you're going you're gonna to enforce a subpoena and hold him in contempt. Wow, she's a quick study. Go ahead. Exactly does that mean? And obviously Nadler's saying, quote, we'll take whatever action we will have to take. Sure. Happy to go through the process. Sure, I'm happy to go through the process. Sure. Then listen to what this clown says. Go ahead. 
So look, Bill Barr can be a partisan hack and a Trump stooge if he wants to, but he can't disregard the law. No one's above the law. This isn't about disregarding the law or being above the law, you clown. It's about separation of powers and the extent to which a committee can conduct itself the way this committee seeks to conduct itself. I'm all for aggressive oversight. That's not what this is. They're not overseeing anything. They're trying to create. It's very much like the Soviets. They're trying to create offenses. Not necessarily criminal offenses, but political offenses, ethical offenses. They're trying to create pseudo events. They're trying to create pseudo events. Now more than ever, I'm quite serious. We're going to have to fight back now more than ever. You need to have the tools. And that's the point of unfreedom of the press. You need to have the tools to deal with the Aaron Burnett's and the Joe Scarboroughs. And yes, I in this book will come under attack. So be it. So be it, particularly when this book comes out. That's all right. We'll do what we have to do. But Aaron Burnett, this isn't a real correspondent, even though she dresses up as one. Joe Scarborough, I mean, he's completely a pathetic loser. And there he is. Andrea Mitchell, she gave up her uh, her correspondent credentials a long time ago. I mean, legitimate credentials. But she's a fraud now, too. And you go on and on and on. And look who they picked. They picked the biggest insane buffoons in the Democrat Party. Ted Lieu, uh, among others. And uh, where's the other one here? Oh, yes. We've got... Uh, uh, hold on a second. Sheila Jackson Lee. I'm not even going to waste your time with her. James Clyburn. Of course, Pelosi herself, as dumb as a doorknob. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Here's Pelosi. Friends at Fox News, Frank Miles. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told reporters that President Trump has demonstrated on a daily basis his obstruction of justice amid a conflict between the White House and Congress over the terms of scheduled testimony. That's not obstruction of justice. Obstruction of justice? What law is she talking about? Now, she may be arguing obstruction of Congress, but that's not obstruction of Congress either. Congress has to have a legitimate purpose. You're never going to hear this on CNN. You're never going to hear this on MSNBC. You're never going to read it in the New York Slimes. What you'll see in the New York Slimes is anti-Semitism. They're hate Israel pages. Isn't it amazing how everybody's talking about this now, Rich? Where the hell have they been? Where the hell have they been? The facts about the New York Times and the Holocaust have been known for decades. I've been talking about it for 10 years, and finally I've pulled all the information together, and it's in the new book. But now they're all saying, and remember the Holocaust and the New York Times? We have a huge listening audience that apparently includes 98% of conservative talk radio hosts. That's a good thing, don't you think? Barr is scheduled to testify before the Senate and House Judiciary Committee panels this week on Special Counsel Robert Mueller's report. And by the way, Mueller's out there now saying that the Barr in his letter didn't capture the nature, context, and so forth of his investigation. Oh, really? The Attorney General and others need to take off the, uh, the political brass knuckles here, or put them on, rather, and deal with Mueller. And deal with Mueller. The fact that he would write what he wrote. 
I hope Republicans on this committee, this House Judiciary Committee, are listening to me right now. And I hope you'll ask Mr. Mueller. I hope you'll ask Mr. Mueller. What else did McGahn say during 29 hours, 59 minutes, and 30 seconds of testimony, since you only put 30 seconds of his testimony in Volume 2? And ask him, if you weren't special counsel and you did this sort of thing, you'd be disbarred, wouldn't you? Well, I have to write a report. He doesn't have to write that report, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't have to write that report, Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee. You can write a report that's not... 400 to 500 pages long, not war and peace, with opinion and opinion and opinion. No. That volume two is barely redacted because it's filled with their pathetic opinions. Mr. Mueller didn't have to write a report like that at all. Matter of fact, his investigation didn't have to go on and on and on. As I've said repeatedly, and has been repeated... He had to know there was no collusion relatively early on. And that should have been the end of it. And that needs to be pursued when Mr. Mueller's up on Capitol Hill, too. The Republicans should ask Mr. Barr, the Republican Attorney General, a lot of questions. You were Attorney General before. Have you ever had to deal with a Democrat committee like you're dealing with this Democrat committee? Mr. Barr, given the fact that you are quite the expert when it comes to the law... Can you tell us what the authority this committee has to subpoena the president's taxes and bank records and so forth and so on? Can you tell us what authority, if there is any authority? They need to get their story out. They need to get the facts and the truth out. And the attorney general will be sitting there. Okay, you don't have to do what the Democrats are doing. Do the opposite. Do the opposite. Lay out the case against them. Here's one. Mr. Attorney General, do you think it's appropriate for Congress to continue to conceal all these sexual harassment deals where they use taxpayers' money? Do you think that violates campaign finance laws? That's a good one, don't you think, Mr. Producer? I got a million of them. Tell me, Mr. Attorney General, if the President of the United States is somehow forced to release six or ten years of his tax returns... Considering we're supposed to have co-equal branches, don't you think the Speaker of the House should release hers too, since she's in line to the office of the presidency? I think that's a good one. That's a good one. Here's another one. Uh, Whatever. I have a lot of good questions that could be asked to Attorney General Barr if the Republicans are really thinking. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. So there's leaks to the New York Times and the Washington Post. We'll be pulling them together for you and discussing them in the next hour. Leaks from the Mueller crowd, as you might expect. Trying to gin up impeachment, trying to gin up uh, smears on uh, Attorney General Barr. And keep in mind, the argument's been all this time that Mueller's an inferior employee of the Department of Justice that he reported ultimately to the Attorney General. And now he's undermining the Attorney General. This is a loathsome guy. I never understood why people were praising him. Even, even lawyers on the president's staff. I never, I never understood this. This guy is a loathsome guy. It's nothing to praise. This volume two was a complete hit job. Always intended for impeachment purposes. And of course, the media are the media. 
Mother's Day is coming up. There's absolutely nothing most of us wouldn't do to make sure the special moms in our life are happy. Sherry's Berries has special Mother's Day berries designed just for mom that are topped with chocolate chips, pink shimmer sugar, and swizzles. Doesn't that taste good? Doesn't that sound good? You choose your delivery date to ensure mom gets your gift of Sherry's Berries exactly when you want her to. And your satisfaction is always guaranteed. Don't wait until the last minute on this one. Visit berries.com and use my code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. Visit berries.com right now to order freshly dipped strawberries starting at nineteen ninety nine for the moms in your life. Now, what do I mean? Your mom, your wife, your sister, your grandmom. To make mom really happy, you can double the berries for just $10 more. Mother's Day is Sunday, May 12. So visit berries.com. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. They're afraid you don't know how to spell it. I know you do. Berries.com, but you have to enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. Click on that microphone in the upper upper right corner, enter code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. That's berries.com. Click the microphone, code LEVIN. Sherry's Berry, they are the best. Big strawberries, outstanding chocolate, all the beautifully dipped things that are on top and so forth. It's just terrific. My mouth is watering here. I can hear, you know, steak sandwich with fried onions. I'm thinking right now, French fries, and then for dessert, Sherry's Berries. How do you like that, Mr. Producer? Does that sound pretty tasty to you? You're all in? Okay, but I'm not giving them to you. Anyway, let's continue here. Oh. Charles, Los Angeles, California, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hello. How are you doing today? Thanks for All right. taking my call. You got it. I was I was discussing some of the uh, formalities of the discussion you had about Venezuela, and I think the big point that I had was this is a narco state. It's been a narco state since the 80s, and until we can actually do some significant drug policy in the world, Oh, good point. So what we need to do is legalize drugs. You know, Portugal did it. They have significant drops. Boy, you guys with the legalization of drugs, I mean, you you just sound so idiotic. So so the Hugo Chavez uh, coup, which really was a coup, was about the legalization of drugs or the uh, or the or the drug narcoism. What happened specifically through the 70s and 80s was now we're into the 70s and 80s. Yeah, but these things... They use drugs to help and finance the regimes, but you clearly don't understand Marxism. Marxism is not about drugs. It will use drugs to help finance it, but that's not the purpose of these coups and these revolutions. Not in the least. You haven't been listening long enough, I guess. You live in California? You might want to move to Colorado. Just saying. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, we have simultaneous leaks to the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost, as you might expect. Neither newspaper covered the Holocaust. 
with any degree of particularity. Uh, so we're, of course, we're going to believe everything they say. And this is a report starting with the New York Slimes by Mark Mazzetti and Michael S. Schmidt. Michael S. Schmidt is now, I believe, partnered with, what is her name, over there at MSLSD. She left her husband. Whatever. Oh, the swamp. So let's begin reading what's in the New York Slimes. Robert S. Mueller III, the special counsel, wrote a letter in late March to Attorney General William P. Barr, objecting to his early description of the Russia investigation's conclusions that appeared to clear President Trump on possible obstruction of justice. According to the Justice Department and three people with direct knowledge of the communication between the two men. The letter. Now, let's just stop here. That's an outrage in and of itself. Mr. Mueller brought no obstruction charge against the President of the United States or anybody else in his orbit. Didn't even try. Didn't even go to the Attorney General then, the Deputy Attorney General acting as Attorney General, Rod Rosenstein, and say, hey, look, I believe I should indict the President on obstruction charges, and we can do this in secret and seal it. Never happened. And so keep in mind what the media are doing here. They could care less about what I just said, and they're not even going to mention it. Next paragraph, New York Slimes. The letter adds to the growing evidence of a rift between them and is another sign of the anger among the special counsel's investigators about Mr. Barr's characterization of their findings, which allowed Mr. Trump to wrongly claim he'd been vindicated. Now stop right there. These two clown reporters just gave it away. Anger among the special counsel's investigators? I didn't know that. Did you, Mr. Producer? We must have missed that. Now, we assumed it, but now it's confirmed. So this has been leaked out of the special counsel's office. It could be Weissman, could be anybody else. Weissman left. He was angry. It was unclear what specific objections Mr. Mueller raised in his letter, Mr. Barr defended his descriptions of the investigation's conclusions in conversations with Mr. Mueller over the days after he sent the letter, according to two people with knowledge of their discussions. Really? That would be the special counsel's office again. Mr. Barr, who was scheduled to testify on Wednesday before the Senate Judiciary Committee about the investigation, has said publicly he disagrees with some of the legal reasoning in the Mueller report. Senior Democratic lawmakers have invited Mr. Mueller to testify in the coming weeks, but have been unable to secure a date for his testimony. Quote, the special counsel emphasized that nothing in the attorney general's March 24 letter was inaccurate or misleading. A Justice Department spokeswoman, Carrie Kopeck, said in response to a request for a comment made on Tuesday afternoon. But he expressed frustration over the lack of context and the resulting media coverage regarding the special counsel's obstruction analysis. Why would the special counsel care about the media coverage? That's not his job either. A spokesman for the special counsel's office declined to comment. Of course, because they're leaking. The New York Times news article goes on. A central issue. Now, obviously we're all stupid, so the New York Times is going to lay this out for us. A central issue in the simmering dispute 
is how the public's understanding of the Mueller report has been shaped since the special counsel ended his investigation and delivered his 448-page report on March 22 to the attorney general, his boss, and longtime friend. The the four-page letter that Barr sent to Congress two days later gave little detail about the special counsel's findings and created the impression that Mr. Mueller's team found no wrongdoing, allowing Mr. Trump to declare he'd been exonerated. What is the issue here? He put out a four-page letter, and I said this on my Fox show, what, two weeks ago? He put out this four-page letter, knowing full well that most of the report would be revealed. They think he's trying to hide something? But when Mr. Mueller's report was released on April 18, painted a far more damning picture of the president, and showed that Mr. Mueller believed that significant evidence existed that Mr. Trump obstructed justice. This is the outrage. How the hell can any citizen defend themselves under these circumstances? Look, we think there was considerable evidence of obstruction, but we're not charging you so you can't defend yourself. This is why they didn't seek the subpoena. Not only because they would have failed. Not only because they would have failed, but because they wanted to hand the Democrats and the media everything they wanted. And the best way to do that was through volume two. Through volume two. New York Slimes continues. Over the past month, other signs of friction between the attorney general and the special counsel have emerged over issues like legal theories about constitutional protections afforded to presidents to do their job and how Mr. Mueller's team conducted the investigation. Wait a minute. Mr. Mueller serves at the behest of the attorney general. What do you mean there's disagreements among them? That's like saying there's a disagreement among a U.S. attorney And the attorney general, I want the damn courts to listen to this, particularly the justices on the Supreme Court. Over and over again, I have said, Mr. Mueller is not an inferior employee. He's not an inferior employee like a U.S. attorney. He acts like a presidential appointee. And he is in form just that. And he never went through the confirmation process in the United States Senate. How can you read this and not come to that conclusion? In congressional testimony in April, before the report was released, Mr. Barr demurred when asked whether he believed that the investigation was a witch hunt. Mr. Trump's preferred term. It depends on where you're sitting, Mr. Barr replied. What does this have to do with a news story? Nothing. If you're somebody who's being falsely accused of something, you would tend to view the investigation as a witch hunt, he said, in apparent reference to the president. Mr. Barr's testimony stood in contrast to comments he made during his confirmation hearing. So now we're going after Barr. Now we have to destroy Barr, you see. That's what this is all about. That's why they're writing it this way. A rift between the men. By the way, not a single negative syllable about Mueller. Nothing. There's Mr. Mueller. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. The noble Mr. Mueller with the noble staff of prosecutors never leaks above reproach. I mean, just outstanding. We've never seen anything like this man. Ten feet tall. Oh, he's just unbelievable. He's incredible. And then there's Barr. Barr, you know, Barr, he gave this testimony. Barr did that. Barr. So they put a white hat on Mueller and a black hat on Barr. They're telling you who's the angel and who's the devil. 
Mr. Barnes, senior Justice Department officials were frustrated with how Mr. Mueller ended his investigated and drafted his report, according to the two people with knowledge of the discussions and another person briefed on the matter. They expressed irritation that Mueller fell short of his assignment by declining to make a decision about whether Mr. Trump broke the law. That left Barr to clear Mr. Trump without the special counsel's backing. Mr. Trump was cleared. There was no trial. Nothing happened. The senior department officials also found Mr. Mueller's rationale for stopping short of deciding whether Mr. Trump committed a crime to be confusing and contradictory. And they concluded that Mr. Mueller's report showed that there was no case against Mr. Trump. Now, let me tell you what happened here. Mueller's people are leaking, and now the Justice Department is leaking back. That's what's going on here. But Mr. Mueller did lay out evidence against the president. After explaining he had declined to make a prosecutorial judgment, citing as a factor a Justice Department view that sitting presidents cannot be indicted, Mr. Schmidt and the other schmo, do you have any information, being reporters and all, that Mr. Mueller at any time asked the attorney general if he could bring charges against the president of the United States? If not... Then shut your pie hole. If we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state, Mr. Mueller, his investigators wrote, based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, however, we are unable to reach that judgment. That is an outrageously unethical statement. Just disgraceful. If you believe in true justice and due process. Mr. Mueller's report, the Attorney General and other senior law enforcement officials believed, read like it had been written for consumption by Congress and the public. Oh, yeah. Not like a confidential report to Mr. Barr is required under the regulations governing the special counsel. As you know, I pointed this out. Some of the special counsel's investigators have told associates that they were angry about Mr. Barr's initial characterization of their findings. Government officials and others have said and that their conclusions were more troubling for Mr. Trump than Mr. Barr indicated. You see, this this is the problem with this reporting stuff. This is the problem with all of it. Because now you have stuff outside the courtroom. In politics, handed over to the Democrats to hang their hats on what Mr. Mueller did was diabolical. And I want you to listen to me a second to put things in perspective. Unfortunately, this is not going to satisfy a lot of you. One day, and it'll be decades from now, and I don't even know if many of us will be around. This is going to be looked upon as a disgraceful period in American history. The use of this prosecutor this way, what the prosecutor did, the staff that he chose, this will all be part of the history books. How he wrote this report, Volume 2, why he wrote Volume 2 the way he wrote Volume 2. The House of Representatives, these committee chairmen, they'll be called radical Democrats 100 years from now. How they abuse their power. But the entity that's going to come off the worst in history will be the media. Our modern yellow journalism. And the people who write stories like this, Michael Mazzetti, 
Michael S. Schmidt. The Washington Post piece is, is relatively identical. The abandonment of objectivity, the abandonment of any any care about the rule of law and due process and and all these things. I'll be right back. Lovin. Recommending guests for life, liberty, and living. It's annoying as hell. It just is. And then we have people who write me and suggest themselves to be guests. That's the kiss of death. People don't think I can do these jobs. It's amazing. Or that I don't read media. I get a zillion links. I see it all. All right. So now we have these leaks. And so the goal is, of course, the attorney general who's duking it out with the House Judiciary Committee and who will be testifying to one or more committees in the very near future, might be as early as Thursday. Um, These leaks are time to damage him. Time to undermine him. And, of course, ultimately to damage the president of the United States. And this is the problem. I can assure you. And what's taking place here goes against the whole notion of justice that has been in place now since the Western Enlightenment period. Been in place since the 1500s, or at least been acknowledged since the 1500s. And so we are reverting back to sort of an animalistic standard here, aren't we? Which is a standardless situation. A real type of third world mental attitude and approach to what's taking place. That's why I've been calling this and started calling this a silent coup. That's why I said the day after the election that they would go after this president, impeachment or indictment or both if they could, through this silent coup. And the president's exactly right when he picks that up. It is a coup. And so these leaks are timed. They, they're given to the two outlets you expect them to be given to, the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. It's intended to stir up the pot, create controversy, undermine the Attorney General of the United States, who's trying to bring the best judgment he possibly can to these issues, and not on his own. He's bringing in uh, professionals throughout the Department of Justice, including the Office of Legal Counsel. It's intended to keep a cloud over the President of the United States, This is the problem with prosecutors doing what Mr. Mueller has done. Mr. Mueller's practice would work very, very well in the old Soviet Union. He'd do great in modern Russia. That's the funny thing. He'd be a great Putin apparatchik. He's a hitman with a law degree. I don't mean physically. You know what I mean. He's a political hitman with a law degree. I want you to put yourself in his shoes. When you're picking a staff, do you pick a staff that is openly hostile to, the, to one of the people you're investigating? Or do you look for people who are as nonpartisan as possible? Do you look for people who've made donations to the Obama campaign and or the Clinton campaign? Do you look for a deputy who actually attended the Hillary Clinton victory party 
Do you look for do you look for a, a, a prosecutor who actually represented Hillary Clinton? Is this how you staff? That's number one. Is that what you would do if you're truly independent and trying to create that impression? Number two, you wouldn't write a report like this. You don't need 500 pages or 400 and some odd pages to write what took place. And as I keep saying, volume two was written for the media, was written for Congress, it was written for impeachment. I called it a long time ago because it's obvious. Number three, if you're truly a special counsel with some independence and you conduct your investigation and you see there's no collusion, that's when you end your investigation. If you bump into other areas of, partic- of, of, of possible illegality, you pass it off to the appropriate jurisdictions, the U.S. Attorney for the, for the Southern District, the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, whatever. You don't continue. And you certainly, number, number four, excuse me, you don't try to trap a president of the United States. There was no need to interview the president of the United States. There was no need even for the president, as it turns out, to give written responses to obstruction. But it's also clear that if the president had testified, that they would have gone after him. Now, I want you to think about that. The president who opened up his entire White House, opened all the files, all the emails, all the texts, all the staff to the investigators. He would be charged with obstruction? He's accused of obstruction? Is this is this some kind of insanity that's taking place here? Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton roams the countryside free? I'll be right back. Mark Levin Tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. You know, I feel sorry in some ways for the Democrat nominee for president of the United States because I think the Democrats in the House are laying the foundation for a very, very big defeat. For a very, very big defeat for that Democrat nominee. You know, Nancy Pelosi, senior health policy advisor, thinks he is the solution for the high cost of prescription drugs. It's called binding arbitration. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, it's not. Don't be fooled. Anything she proposes is not. Binding arbitration is simply the leftist price controls that I've been warning you about. Third party arbitration panel members would be handpicked to settle pricing disputes if government determines a drug to be too expensive. Worse, once established, Democrats will likely demand prices be set for all drugs, and we know who's going to control this process. Moreover, they will want to limit access to drugs in order to control costs following the European socialist model. There are over 4,000 drugs currently being developed in the United States. Each successful drug will take 10 to 15 years and $2.6 billion to develop. You hadn't heard that before, had you? If implemented, binding arbitration would wipe out the investments necessary for medical innovations needed to find cures and treatments for the 60% of Americans who are now suffering and living with a chronic condition. 
Binding arbitration is a rigged game where left-wing bureaucrats always win and the patient always loses. Get the facts. Go to truthhealthcarefacts.com, truthhealthcarefacts.com. That's truthhealthcarefacts.com. Dan, Leesburg, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Hey, Mark. Um, I, I just wanted to ask the question. You have said a number of times in the past that leaking is a felony. Depending on what's practice? leaked. Sorry? Depending on what is leaked. Okay, leaking so per se is not a practice. felony. I see. Okay, so in this case, there's not traction to be had from uh, going out. I don't think this would uh, be a felony, no. Okay. There's not an ongoing investigation or anything of the sort. The reason these people aren't revealing themselves is because they're on Mueller's staff, and there are others who despise the President of the United States. And here's the thing, though, Dan. If we knew the identities of the people providing the information, then we, the people, could make a judgment about them and the information and the news, right? Right, right. But the media deny that to you and me, don't they? Mm-hmm. So we don't know who's leaking exactly. We, can, we have a, kind of an idea, a pretty good damn idea, but we'd like to know their names. We'd like to know their motivations. So basically, the story is incomplete. The conclusion is what they want, but the story's incomplete because we don't know who's leaking this. If we knew who was leaking this... Then we'd have a complete news story. But the news is not going to do that. These newsrooms are not going to do that because they're more interested in getting the scoop and getting the president. All right, my friend. All right. Jim, Naperville, Illinois. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Mark. I just uh, wish that you had more book signings out here in flyover country because we all really appreciate you. And But you know what? Your, your time is well spent on the radio instead of uh, going on those kind of trips. Well, that, well, that's the thing, you see, that I can reach a lot more people rather than, you know, hopscotching around the country. I'm not running for office, after all. Exactly, exactly, and, and that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, because uh, it's not that you don't deserve it, but uh, I'll tell you what. You're, you're not kidding. Somebody once asked me <laughs> if I was going to run for attorney general. I said, no, I'm running from the attorney general. <laughs> but the thing is, what well, the point I want, Venezuela is going to be Trump's uh, uh, new, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and too, too bad too many of these millennials don't remember that. And, and mm-hmm. uh you know, he's got to face off against, we've got Russia, China, Cuban influence. You know, Hezbollah. Uh, you Hez- Hezbollah. These- People don't realize Hezbollah is in there, too. Which they don't deserve. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Appreciate your call in Illinois. Let's go to Will, Quincy, Florida. How are you listening to us, Will? Uh, WVFT 93.3. Amen, baby. Just just testing you out. There you go. Uh, um, You talked earlier about how, uh, you know, history is going to look back on the volume two as being, you know, why did they do volume two? Because it was nothing but a hit piece. What scares me is that history, you know, with with the mainstream media, history is just going to look back and they're going to be like, thank God he did volume two. Because if he didn't, we wouldn't have known about all this other stuff that Mueller didn't bring up. No, I don't think so. I think um, when when the politics has long passed and the hate for Trump has long passed, 
uh, if they try this impeachment, I think he'll get the Andrew Johnson treatment in that respect, which is everybody believes, and rightly, that the impeachment of Andrew Johnson was an outrage. And he was almost removed from office, but one senator, one Republican senator held out and said, no, I can't do this. And so he right. he was not removed based on the vote of one senator. So we'll never know because well, we won't be around. Well, one more quick thing. I've yeah. been talking about my kids about this for years, and I told them I was going to call you. Yes, sir. There's a couple of times. There's a couple of times you've made fun of some uh, senators and congressmen called Angus, and I wanted Uh-oh. to give you a fit about that because my dad's name is Angus, and it's a fine Scottish name, sir. Okay, you you got listen, and Angus fits your dad as a fine Scottish name, but Angus fits this senator as a cow. You know what I mean? I hear you. I hear you. All right, brother. Take care. That's not the first complaint I've had about that. But what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Sue, Boca Raton, Florida, Sirius Satellite, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Mark. Thank you for having me on. Um, I was I just wanted to make a statement oh, when you're talking about Caracas and, you know, Venezuela. I was born in Caracas, Venezuela. And um, I just, you know, really, I pray that all of your listeners would really, um, I think it's very hard for Americans to really understand what is happening there. Because I think sometimes we're in a bubble and we think that's not going to happen here. Well, if we continue to become apathetic, disengaged, disinterested, and you lose America, where do you go from here? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody in the world wants to come here. I've lived pretty much all over the world. I've been very blessed. Um, and, you know, we're not perfect, but we are exceptional. And um, I just, I just, uh, everybody. That's I, what I always say. We're not perfect, but we are great. Go ahead. We really are, and uh, we have. I have a group. I came here to the states. I love this country. My father was a first Marine Division Guadalcanal. Wow. My mom was a wave, um, and my brother's a Marine. And so, um, you know, I I just really believe every American should be made to live overseas for one year. You know, not well, that, that's not going to happen. But why shouldn't every American be made to watch films in high school or social studies uh, on a D Day? on the Battle of the Bulge, on the Guadalcanal, on Iwo Jima. Why shouldn't they be required to really get a full understanding of how great this nation is and the people are? Because they don't get it today, I can tell you that. No, they don't. But And we just really need to understand that we do live in the greatest country. Uh, I have a group, Women Impacting the Nation, and I always say when we show up, we win. And Americans need to start showing up and looking at the bigger picture. Because there's no longer, to me, there's no longer a Republican or Democrat party. There's an American and a patriot versus socialism slash mm-hmm. Marxist. Well, you're right. People need to wake up. And uh, But I think a lot have. I think that's how Donald Trump got elected. And I think... Uh, this is the pushback. I think the media consider themselves the most powerful political force in the country, and they, they, they typically are. But they were defeated by Donald Trump, and, they, and they, they're thinking, wait a minute. We get to decide who the next president's going to be. And Donald Trump beats us? We were mocking him. He was a laughingstock in our newsrooms. And now, look, he's president of the United States. We can't put up with that. And uh, they're hardcore leftists. I'll tell you what. Don't hang up, Sue. I really appreciate your call. We're going to send you a copy of Unfreedom of the Press. When it comes out, I will sign it and we'll ship it off to you. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. We have got to get our hands and our heads around this fourth estate. That's what it's called typically. And the fact that it's become the fifth column. 
And they can talk about all the threats they get all the time. They can talk about how the president and his supporters are attacking freedom of the press. The fact of the matter is we're not threatening them and we're not attacking freedom of the press. We are exercising our First Amendment freedom of speech rights. And we don't have to sit there and take it. We don't have to be put down. The people we vote for don't have to be put down. This is a silent coup. And I think it is incredibly patriotic and important that you speak out. Contrary, obviously, to what the press would have you believe. And you can see already the effect of this book. It's not even out yet. And I read to you and I've been talking to you about chapter six, about the New York Times betraying millions. And what have you heard for the last three or four days about the New York Times, about the anti-Semitic cartoons, about how the New York Times reported on the Holocaust? Let me tell you, you don't know the half of it yet until this book comes out. Because the backbenchers are cherry picking. That's okay. But I'm no backbencher and I don't cherry pick. And we're going to really take them on. Because if we don't take them on, we're going to lose this republic. This media today is not in the spirit of the founders. It's not in the spirit of the free press, the printers, the newspaper publishers, the pamphleteers. They're not in that spirit. These are lazy, ideologically driven Democrat Party apparatchiks. And they know it. And no, we're not calling for the government to get involved. That's what they do to talk radio. That's what they do to the Fox News channel. No, 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 no. We are not into tyranny. They are. They are. They spend more time attacking Fox than they do Red China. They spend more time attacking Fox than they do that Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, Iran. They spend more time attacking Fox than they do the tyranny in front of their faces. And what do I mean by that? Their colleagues in the newsrooms. No reputable news organization would have Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski on their channel. No reputable news organization would give Al Sharpton a program. No reputable news organization would give political hack Chris Matthews a platform. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Now, I have no problem with opinion on TV. But opinion dressed up as news is a whole nother story. Opinion makers dressed up as journalists, that's a whole nother story. That is deceit. That is dishonest. And that's what's taking place. And we're getting more and more propaganda. More and more pseudo-issues. Like these leaks tonight to the New York Times and the Washington Post. When you cut to the chase, this is meaningless. There's no point to it. The president wasn't charged with a damn thing. There was no collusion. That should be the end of it. But it's not the end of it. You want to see where these people will drag us? Look on your TV screen. Look at Venezuela. That's where they'll take us. And I'm not kidding. The New York Times revealed itself on Saturday yet again. Showed a little ankle. It's two cartoons, but one in particular could have been drawn by a publication for the Third Reich. 
with the President of the United States dressed, wearing a yarmulke, dark sunglasses as if he's blind, holding a leash on what looked like a Doberman with the face of Netanyahu and the Jewish star. That's Hitlerian. And most of the media gave them a pass. And the articles won that same day giving cover to the reprobate, the anti-Semite, the bigot, Representative Ilhan Omar. The New York Times gave her cover. It wasn't that long ago where the New York Times was writing flowering words about Hezbollah and how they were treating the Lebanese Christians during Christmas. It was nauseating. Nauseating. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Quote, I wish this double chin would just go away, unquote. Now, from now until Mother's Day, you wish your wish is our command with Genesel's outrageous Mother's Day sale. Double chins, sagging jawlines, and turkey necks are real problems for some people. Until now. Introducing the new Genesel jawline treatment formulated with MDL technology. Robin S. from Lubbock, Texas wrote, quote, I put that jawline cream on my neck like two or three days ago. That's the best my neck has looked in 20 years. Several people told me my face looks young. I'm blown away. Sure, you could use expensive or harsh treatments to look younger, but why would you do that to yourself? For only one more week. Hello, only one more week. The Genesel jawline treatment is yours absolutely free when you order the classic Genesel for eye bags and puffiness. With its instant effects, see results in the first 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. Let me repeat. Results in the first 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. Go to Genesel.com or call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. A surprise Mother's Day premium gift with all orders. Call 800-SKIN-604 or visit Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. All right. Now, we do have a little problem here. If you believe in some fiscal sanity, you understand our fiscal operating debt is over $22 trillion, and our unfunded liabilities are now over $250 trillion. The trustees of Medicare said they're going broke in eight years. The trustees of Social Security said they're going broke in 18 years. Nobody's proposed a damn thing to do. They just keep spending. Like never before. Republicans and Democrats. Well, you'll be pleased to learn, those of you who are fiscal conservatives and care about the future of your children and grandchildren, that it appears the White House and top congressional Democrats agreed today to spend $2 trillion to, quote, repair the nation's crumbling roads and bridges, and they need to figure out how to pay for it. And they'll come up with some scheme and they'll tell you private, public, this, that, or we'll set up a trust. Uh, They always do stuff like that. And then they rob them blind. 
I don't know where you live, ladies and gentlemen. I live about 40 miles from Washington, D.C., give or take. There's never a quiet moment. There is endless road construction. Overpasses, bridges, widening roads, improving roads, subways, it never ends. And it creates traffic. I can't imagine what will happen when they spend $2 trillion. It'll just go through the hands of local political hacks, of state political hacks, of regional political hacks. They think this is the new deal, you see, where we're going to build all kinds of new stuff. $2 trillion taken out of the private economy. I'm opposed. Count me as a big-time no. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all law enforcement. Please don't forget to get your copy right now of Unfreedom of the Press. It's significantly discounted at Amazon.com. You're going to need it. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.